Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, you know what they say, that video killed the radio star. Well, I'm going out on a limb and adding video to this week's podcast. I see my uh, producer's a little shocked here. Anyway, since I have a face for radio, I'm not worried about a radio ratings hit for my video podcast. Anyway, a few weeks ago, I had the honor of organizing and moderating a panel for the MIT Club of Northern California. The topic was microgrids. Basically, microgrids are a combination of rooftop solar and batteries, so you can operate independently of the grid. These are mostly behind-the-meter applications, in other words, distributed generation, but it's owned by the customer, by the business or the homeowner, not owned by the utility. And the big benefit is that all the savings accrue to the customer, but the customers have to invest in the system or find investor partners. So there's four main topics that are going to enable these customer-owned microgrid battery and solar systems. The first is policy that makes the economics work for customers, and I had probably the best policy person in the country, Bernadette Del Chiaro, who's the executive director of the California Solar and Storage Association, used to be called CalSEA. She's the smartest and most effective policy advocate for solar and batteries in the whole country. Now, the next thing, you're going to need functional and affordable batteries. And I had the honor of having Peter Gibson, who's the head of the energy storage solutions business in North America for LG Chem. They're one of the biggest battery manufacturers in the world. The product's so good that they can't make them fast enough. Now, inverters are kind of the heart of the system. They connect the solar and storage with good software to the grid. I had Lior Handelsman, the founder of SolarEdge. They're the most profitable inverter company, market leaders when it comes to residential and commercial. They started with optimizers and software about a dozen years ago, then inverters and software. Now they're doing storage and software. And hats off to them. This stuff just works. Now, finally, utilities are a key part of this. But it doesn't seem to be the investor-owned traditional utilities, but the new utilities. So Jan Pepper, the CEO of Peninsula Clean Energy, joined us. Peninsula Clean Energy is a new type of utility called a Community Choice Aggregator, or CCA. (laughs) And I was especially happy to have another spice, Jan Pepper, joining me on this panel. So anyway, the dilemma is for conventional utilities, is they can't generate and deliver power as cheaply as these behind-the-meter sources. Their cost structures are just too high, and they have really high transmission and distribution costs. Whereas if you're generating, storing, or just using power that's on your own site, on your own home or business, you don't have to worry about the wires that are outside. So, you know, basically, on-site generation and storage is less expensive than what the utilities were buying, and even less expensive pretty much what they're buying now when you take into account all their overhead. Just to put some numbers on it, the average California electric rate is now $0.22 a kilowatt hour. The average rooftop solar power cost is less than $0.07 a kilowatt hour. And when you're looking at batteries, you're going to see the same commensurate savings for battery storage systems if you put it in rather than the utility. Battery storage is growing fast, but it's still tiny. So the first practical residential systems just started shipping last year. The thing is, everybody just talks about the batteries, but nobody just buys batteries. Just as nobody just buys solar panels. They buy a complete system. The solar panels, the inverter, the backup subpanel, the installation, everything. Now, these battery subsystems, such as those from LG Chem, not just a battery. It's a battery management system that charges, discharges, manages the temperature, makes sure it's going to have the lifespan they expect. It's got an outdoor rated enclosure, so you can put it outside in the rain and the snow, circuit breakers, and software. Now, the inverter, we always talk about that as being the heart of the system. And they also have to have communication software, because these systems don't act independently. And you're going to hear from some comments later about why that software is so important. Now, battery costs are coming down fast. But even if batteries were free now, 
scot-free now, storage would still be expensive. Just as solar would still be pricey if the panels were free. Why? Because there's just so much work involved in installing it. Now, I kind of like to compare EVs to stationary battery systems. It's interesting. I kind of did some numbers. The home battery subsystem is about half the cost of a complete battery storage system. Yeah, you know, they're twelve, thirteen thousand dollars before incentives for a battery storage system, and the battery itself, just the battery, six thousand uh, dollars. Kind of comparing that to the cost of a Chevy Bolt, which is about thirty-two thousand dollars from Chevy, and the battery just for the Bolt, and it's got the battery subsystem, sixteen grand. So it's about the same. So what are the biggest cost factors? Why are these things so expensive, even though the battery prices are coming down? It's what we call soft costs: the installation, the permitting, the inspections, the interconnection, and all the overhead. So these star panelists shared with us their insights into what it will take from microgrids and behind the meter storage takeoff. And by the way, the video of this conference session, this panel session, is available on our website at cinema.energy. So starting off on the policy front, policy is just kind of enabling this. The technology is there, but you got to have the policy that jumpstarts the market. And in the policy front, California is leading the way. And the California Solar and Storage Association is leading in California. So just recently, this year, 2018, the legislature passed with really hard work, three years worth of work by CALSA and a few other organizations. They passed SB 700, which is a customer-sided energy storage incentive. What it does is it extends the California Battery Storage Incentive Program called SGIP, Self-Generation Incentive Program, for five more years through 2025. It authorizes up to another $800 million of Funding. And 25% of these funds are reserved for low-income and disadvantaged communities. So storage is not just for rich people, just like solar is not just for rich people. It makes sense for everybody, Ec- economic sense for everybody. Now, the other thing is consumer incentives drive this market transformation. The costs come down from incentives. You know, you're going to buy a battery. It costs $12,000. You got a $3,000 state rebate. You got a 30% tax credit. That's going to bring the cost down to seven or eight grand. That really makes sense. Then more installations happen. And when you get more volume, more installations, more manufacturing volume, more experience for contractors putting these things in, the costs also decline. And we saw the exact same thing happen with the rooftop solar. And then, you know, finally, you look at why did the legislature earmark all this money? Because energy storage saves money for all rate payers not just the people that are putting in the system. These ratepayers, everybody in California, businesses, consumers, they're on the hook for expensive power plants and grid upgrades. So when you put solar and energy storage, means that you have to pull less energy from the grid. You need fewer upgrades. We're putting in fewer transmission lines. Those transformers don't have to be updated as quickly. And and that saves money. Um, yeah, just, just kind of looking recently this year, March of 2018, Cal ISO, they're the ones that manage the California grid, they announced that local clean energy saved ratepayers $2.5 billion. That's a lot of savings, and that's why these incentive programs make sense. And that's why distributed generation behind the meter batteries and solar save all ratepayers money. That nonsense about a cost shift, it's baloney, because you're reducing all those other utility costs, which they actually like to incur. Okay. Well, you can't have a discussion about batteries without talking about one of the leaders in the battery industry, and that's LG Chem. They're part of the LG Group. It used to be called Lucky Gold Star going back like 20 or 30 years. And, and the LG Group, in addition to LG Chem, also includes LG Electronics, you know, those nice flat-screen TVs you have and everything else. They started with lithium-ion batteries for electronics and replacing those old NICADs and nickel-metal hydride batteries. You know, for those of you who remember laptop computers from the, the 80s, they, they would last like an hour before the battery would crap out. But, you know, now lithium-ion makes sense. 
Then uh, LG Chem moved into the automotive realm, and they got tremendous volumes. I, I, I found out that my Chevy Volt is powered by an LG Chem battery, and when I throw an LG Chem residential battery in the back of my Volt to bring it to demonstrate, I, you know, I, I had another 10 kilowatt hours of power to my Chevy Volt, which has a 16.5 kilowatt hour battery. Unfortunately, I haven't figured out how to wire the battery into my car. That's another. That's going to have to be another show. But then what LG did is they got into stationary storage. They're not storing paper. They're storing batteries that are basically for stationary applications for homes for businesses and for utilities and what we're installing for residential customers and contractors all over the country are using these are the resu 10h battery now for them it's all about increasing the manufacturing volumes reducing costs and maintaining quality maintaining quality is really important they've got plants in korea china u.s and poland to meet the european market and the other good thing is they work closely with their inverter and system partners because the battery just doesn't stand alone it's not a a plug-and-play interchangeable thing like solar panels are now. Now, the systems that most contractors install, as I talked about, they're not just the batteries. It's a complete system, it, it's, it, and that's where LG Chem kind of shines. You can buy cheap batteries from China or anywhere else, but you got to put them in an enclosure. They have to be have a battery management system. It has to have software. It has to have a ten-year warranty or longer. It has to be all UL rated, and you need that. You need to get that from a big reliable company. Okay, well, we talked about policy, we talked about batteries. Now let's talk about the heart of the system, the inverters. The inverters have to manage a variety of tasks. The, the storage, obviously, the EV charging, the self-consumption, other applications in the home, other applications in the home like home energy management, and obviously also the solar panels, and they have to synchronize with the grid. So they kind of do a lot. Now, talking about the grid, the grid's evolving. Now, uh, for a hundred years, we've had this centralized hub-and-spoke grid, generation at the middle, and spokes would come out to, to feed various buildings and, and substations. And there'd be some interconnections, but basically the power would flow from the power plant, centralized power plant, out to customers. Now we have fully distributed networks with multiple power flows. There's generation and storage happening in, in different directions. So by doing this, you don't have to send all the power in one direction through one line. You can maybe send half the power sometimes in one way, other half the power in the other. And what that's doing is it's lowering the transmission costs. It's You have this network, you have a web of generators and consumers, generation and storage. You know, it kind of looks the same to generation sometimes. Um, and so you have this web. It lowers the transmission costs. It gives you more reliability because it's redundant. If one of these little webs breaks, you can kind of get power to that next node from a different source. And by lowering these transmission costs, adding redundancy and better stability, the lower costs uh, accrue to all the stakeholders. Almost all the stakeholders, let me correct myself, actually, the, the utilities don't really like lower costs, they like higher costs. But that's just kind of the way it is. And this is going to be the future of the grid. The grid's not going to be a hub and spoke, it's going to be a full network. Now, there's a new concept, and we talked about this a lot, and you know, thanks to Lior for pioneering this, uh, Lior Handelsman at SolarEdge. It's what they call the virtual power plant. So basically what you can do is you can pool the PV, the solar, the storage, EVs from a number of different customers, businesses and consumers. It could be a thousand homes. It could be a hundred businesses. And and all this power would be available to dispatch when it's needed. And the dispatching would happen by software, talking to all these different inverters saying, okay, you know, 
why don't you send some of your extra power from your battery to the grid because the grid needs it now. Or they may say, you know those EV chargers that are connected up to your solar, your inverter? Well, let's not charge your EV from 4 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. because there's going to be a peak demand for power then, and we don't want more people sucking out power. So there's all kinds of cool ways that that can happen. You can even turn down the air conditioning in commercial buildings or just turn off the compressors for half an hour when there's a, a peak demand. Now, smart and Inverters can control these connected devices. You're controlling the solar, you're controlling the storage, the EV charging, the building loads. And you can move this power around and it gives multiple economic benefits. Now, the customers benefit because the customers obviously are using some of their equipment you're using some of their stored energy, they get extra money for that. And they can actually get a, quite a bit of extra money. I mean, you look at, you know, if, if somebody were to, to do this, and this is something that solar is starting to do, you may say that they may, there may be a deal with customers, a residential customer, and says, we're going to give you another $500 a year if five times a year we can suck the power out of your battery. Now, you know, there's only like $20 or $30 worth of power in your battery at normal rates. But if you get $500 for it, that's not a bad deal. Now, the utilities like it also, surprisingly, because they can get power and energy. I'm kind of talking about both of those things separately. But they can get power in terms of watts, kilowatts, and they can get energy in terms of kilowatt hours less expensively than they would have to buy that power on the open market during these peak power events. I mean, for example, the utilities might have to pay 60 or 70 cents a kilowatt hour or more for peak power in a brief interval. And they may, it's easier and cheaper for them to request that power from customers. They may only be paying the customers 30 cents a kilowatt hour, but the customers get a good deal and the utilities get a good deal. It's a win-win. And then finally, in addition to customers and utilities, there's intermediaries, aggregators, aggregation services. These are companies that would create a market between the buyers, the utilities, and the sellers of customers for power. There'll be companies writing software for this. SolarEdge has software that does that. Their inverters do that. There's probably going to be more companies that do that. So hardware and software companies are also going to enable these services. So this is the way the utility business in a full network will be operating in the future. You're not just getting power from one location. You're getting it from multiple locations. You're not just getting energy from one source from multiple sources. And it's all enabled by microgrid technology and communications. So Talking about utilities and the utilities of the future, now, these are not the traditional hub-and-spoke investor-owned utilities, like you know, like the ones that we've been dealing with forever. I mean, they do a good job. They do the best they can to provide affordable and reliable power. Unfortunately for them, technologies change so that consumers, businesses, and homeowners can get power cheaper. So that what's interesting is there's a new generation of these utilities called Community Choice Aggregation Utilities, or CCAs, and Jan Pepper with Peninsula Clean Energy join me on this panel. They provide cleaner power and greener power for less money. Now, how does a CCA work? Well, the first thing is it was something that was enabled by state legislation. And the state legislation said, basically, you can have these new utilities come in, and they're just going to be energy providers. They're not going to be the ones that are running the wires. It's kind of similar to a municipal utility, because most of these CCAs are managed, they have a board of directors from the communities that they serve power to. And the way it works is that the CCA purchases electricity from large solar and wind farms. Interestingly, it's cheaper, way cheaper to buy the electricity from these big farms, two or three cents a kilowatt hour, than it was to buy natural gas power from a big power plant that's been, you know, that was constructed 20 or 30 years ago. So they're able to buy the, the energy for less money. And but they don't have to pay for 
the transmission and distribution in the substations and the local transformers on utility poles. The local utility does that. So basically, the CCA buys the power and transmits it through utility wires. So, and the way the economics work, it works out for everybody. The utilities bill the customers for everything. But they're and they're only eventually billing them for the distribution costs because there's a credit on the bills from the CCA for the electricity that they buy. So basically, the customer gets one bill. I was talking to one of our cinnamon energy customers about this today. That the customer gets one bill, and that bill has some charges from the utility. It has some charges from the CCA, and the utility charges the customer for both the CCA and the distribution charges. So actually there's one check that's paid, and then the utility actually pays the CCA. The good news is the CCA charges less money for energy through the traditional utility bill than the utility would have paid. Now, and the good news is the utility, your friendly local utility, they do a pretty good job. They're maintaining the wires. They're maintaining the transformers. But they're phasing out of the power generation business. Why? Because these CCAs can do it cheaper and, and homeowners and businesses can do it cheaper. So interesting what Peninsula Clean Energy offers is they have two products. And I bet you couldn't make kilowatt hours special. They have their Eco Plus product, which is 50% renewable, 85% greenhouse gas free. That means that they're buying it from renewable sources. And the pricing is 5% lower than PG&E. And that's based, that's their basic product. Now, they also have something called Eco 100. It sounds like a clean, like a clean or high-octane type of gas. That is 100% renewable, but it's a little bit more expensive. It's a penny a kilowatt hour more than their Eco Plus product. Why the heck would anybody want to pay more for electricity? Well, if you put in a solar system and you're over-generating, you'll get a credit at actually more than the usual utility rate. Yeah, so actually there's an economic benefit there. Now, since the CCA business model is more efficient and cheaper than the investor-owned utilities, it's growing really rapidly. And it's only going to be impeded by the public utility commissions and unfavorable regulations. And where are these unfavorable regulations coming from? And why do the PUCs kind of scratch their head and say, maybe we're going to slow this down? It's because the utilities are suffering. They're complaining. They're saying, hey, there's you're letting a competitor into our regulated monopoly business. It's cheaper than us. That's no fair. Well, it is fair because technology has changed and the PUC's obligation is to get reliable and cheap power. So how does all this relate to microgrids and battery storage? Well, these systems are a cost-effective solution to the duck curve problem. We've talked about that. Customer-owned batteries can provide extra energy and power during afternoon requirements during this fast ramp-up when everybody comes home from work and they all want power and the sun's going down and solar generation starts to decline. And it also allows customer-owned solar EV charging and load shedding to happen through these things like uh, virtual power plants. And the economics for VPPs, virtual power plants, are good for pretty much everybody, except for the conventional utility. So what's going to happen with microgrids and behind-the-meter batteries coupled with solar? Well, the market's going to continue to grow really rapidly. It completely reminds me of the solar industry like 15 years ago. And, you know, these companies are going to succeed. But in the meantime, the system prices are kind of high, but the prices are going to come down. The batteries are going to come down just like solar panel prices have come down. And the systems are going to be more integrated and more capable. So there's installation costs are going to be lower. And what I really like is also the software and the communications are going to get better. You're not going to have to put in separate systems. The inverter or another component is going to have all the smarts you need. It's going to provide better monitoring. And that monitoring and communications are going to enable these distributed energy resources, DERs or DERs, crummy acronym, and VPPs. And also, eventually, potential for things like blockchain energy trading. 
Now, also what's going to happen is soon batteries are going to be easier to add to existing systems. And I say soon because right now, you know, we're talking about winter of 2018. The, the Adding on a battery is too complicated and expensive to do to, to an existing system. That's going to be done. It's a science project. But early next year, I expect that there's going to be really, really good battery add-on systems. And solar customers are going to be able to save even more money. That's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinema.energy and listen to the podcast. And this show is also has a video posted on our site.